Hello and welcome to Building Better Futures, the Ambition podcast. Ambition is a recruitment business with an established presence in London, Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. In London, Ambition focuses exclusively on business services recruitment for professional services and their consultants are experts within their specialist industries, providing employers with a flexible model to assist with permanent fixed-term contract, interim and temporary recruitment at all levels of seniority. This episode looks at how COVID-19 is impacting on the economy and what businesses can do to help themselves. It features Julie Palmer from Begbie's Trainer Corporate Recovery and Professional Services and she's talking to Ambition's Adam Silver and Chris Stark. I'm Adam Silver, Associate Director and Head of our Advisory Recruitment Team, and co-hosting on our pod today is one of my Ambition colleagues, Chris Stark. How are you, Chris? I'm very well, thanks, Adam. Uh, Thanks for asking. Uh, Enjoying the sunshine as best I can at the moment. Yeah, it's certainly very nice out there today. Uh, Well, look, Chris and I have worked with one another for the last couple of years, uh, and we do our best supporting candidates and helping them to find new work within the insolvency profession. Uh, But joining Chris and I, and I'm really pleased to say that that we're joined on the call by one of the UK's leading insolvency practitioners. She's the regional managing partner at Begbie's Trainer. It's Julie Palmer. Julie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Adam, and uh, thank you very much for the kind introduction. No problem at all. Have you had a good week? Yeah, very much so, actually. It's um, it's strange how the new normal begins to seem more normal in terms of working from home and using different forms of technology to connect with people. Um, and what are we now, five weeks almost into the lockdown? Yeah. Um, it begins to seem like a normal way to do business, which is a bit scary, really. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Well, I really do appreciate you giving up some of your time this morning to speak with Chris and I. Um, I guess we can sort of just jump straight in, really. And, and I kind of wanted to to ask you, Julie, sort of what you see as the, the sort of fundamental issues facing business owners at a time like this? Well, obviously, there's 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 one biggie there, isn't it, which is um, COVID-19 and the, you know, the, the widespread effects that we are beginning to see of it. Um, some of the uh, projections as to how this is going to affect business in the short term really are very alarming, um, you know, ranging from um, some of the stats we've seen in the last couple of weeks, um, an immediate fall in GDP of about a, a third, um, the worst uh, recession for centuries potentially, um, mm. or certainly since uh, figures began. Um, anything up to a million SME businesses uh, facing failure if this lockdown continues. Um, it's obviously a very, very major issue facing businesses, not just SMEs, but but even many larger businesses at the moment as well. Understood. I guess if I'm a business owner then of, of an SME, Um, based on sort of your advice as an insolvency practitioner, what action do you think I should be taking to sort of help protect my financial position? Well, as with many businesses, I think the good practices are as much the same as they always would be, which is how can you try and get as much as uh, you can in terms of cash in the door and how, particularly at the moment, can you prevent cash outflows? So we've seen all of the well-documented support measures that are available out there for businesses at the moment. I think probably of all of those, um, furlough's been the most uh, successful. Um, the, The numbers of businesses going into furlough and going into it very quickly tell their own story. I think that is something that's got immediate lifeblood that was needed to businesses. Um, I think what has come under more criticism is particularly the Siebel scheme. Um, You know, the the initial insistence on uh, the bank's part of taking a guarantee for 20% of that uh, position has made it very difficult. Um, And also the viability test um, 
bearing in mind even before we went into this crisis um, through our red flag data, we were predicting that there was over half a million businesses um, in showing some form of significant financial distress, which is about 14% of UK business. They will undoubtedly be the businesses that are showing viability issues, which will mean uh, the Seabill's lending door is very much being firmly closed to them. So those those measures are probably not really helping those businesses. Um, but hopefully what it does mean is when the money starts getting out in a more meaningful fashion, and by that I mean more than only the $2 billion that have gone out at the start of this week, hopefully that money will start getting to the viable businesses and we'll see them through this crisis and help them emerge out of the other side. Uh, hi, Judy, it's Chris here. Um, so you mentioned around the furloughing scheme being a way to help with cash flow issues, and that is something I'm seeing more of the term cash is king. Um, are there any other methods that businesses can use to ensure that cash flow remains consistent? Well, I mean, one of the things that was readily available as well is the um, uh, government's offer that uh, people could defer the, um, the pay-as-you-earn and the VAT. So obviously that immediately stops cash out the door at the moment as well. Um, the other encouragement was that if rent is a major issue, uh, speak to your landlords. Um, it's being made more difficult at land for landlords at the moment to go after forfeiture if it's for rent paid as a result, not being paid as a result of the uh, pandemic. So uh, rent out, um, money in for wages being paid and a deferral of the statutory creditors. I think those three measures are really, really helpful in terms of just stopping that cash outflow at the moment and, and helping get money in to pay one of your key costs, which is obviously uh, salary costs. I'm sure that'd be very helpful for a number of uh, directors out there. Um, you mentioned also, I mean, the, the sort of scale of the COVID on the UK business and economy in general. Uh, so it's fair to say most sectors will see some sort of effects. Um, but do you think there are any particular sectors out there that are you know, particularly susceptible to suffering difficulties going forward? Well, I think that analysis is going to become more meaningful when we see what the phased lockdown might look like. Um, the government at the moment seems to be very reluctant to uh, talk about an exit plan in any uh, form of detail. And, and I can understand the reasons for that, because I think if they do talk about a plan in terms of exiting the lockdown, I think the fear is people will then say, oh, great, it, it's about to finish and start returning back to normal habits before uh, they want social distancing to stop. So I think that's why they're keeping their powder dry. But but some of the noises they they've they have made, and if we look at what's happening, um, particularly in Italy, Spain, France, which is probably about two weeks ahead of us on the curve at the moment, what seems to be the suggestion is there'll be some sort of a traffic light uh, system. Um, how effective that will be depends on how quickly we can get towards this 100,000 a day uh, testing, which they seem still quite confident we will reach by the end of the month. But if you look at a traffic lighting type system, I think what that will mean is that early doors, I think things like um, construction, manufacturing, uh, probably office workers will be the first ones as part of that process to get to start getting back to work. Um, I think the businesses that will be adversely affected, though, um, if you look at retail was struggling um, even before the crisis hit. Um, yeah. re retail, I think, is going to be slow to recover. Um, the casual dining sector, I think that's one worth watching at the moment. And and generally the, 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 the hospitality sector, so uh, including pubs, um, potentially throwing into that leisure as well. So sports clubs, not sure when they'll come back. Hopefully they'll be earlier than pubs on the basis the government will see them as a as a positive to try and get the nation uh, back fit and back out there properly again. 
Um, but I think, you know, casual dining, uh, pubs, if you look at the dining sector, even if they said we'll try and work with social distancing and reduce our cover size to keep space between tables, that doesn't really address how the waiter is going to fill your glass with wine or put food on the table. And if you look at pubs, they generally are a business where uh, the numbers rely on them, them packing people in. So I don't really see pubs returning to business um, very early. And I think leisure generally, hospitality, um, but also any any companies that that hang around those sort of events. So one of the types of businesses we saw very, very early on when the pandemic struck was um, a hospitality and events organising business. Um, even at the start of the crisis, pretty much all events were being postponed until September. Uh, we're now five weeks on, so September might begin to look at an ambitious target for those events being held by then the summer and the nice weather's gone and they might might be having to wait till next year till some of those events happen. So there'll be some there'll be some winners in the traffic light system, but I think there'll be some losers who are firmly stood in the uh, red part of the traffic light. Yeah, and I guess, Julie, that the sort of travel industry um, is as well documented, been really badly affected by by COVID-19. I'd imagine it's going to take a long time for airlines and, and sort of organisations within the travel industry to properly recover, if at all. Yeah, you're, you're quite right there, Adam. I mean, even even uh, very early doors when the pandemic hadn't really reached the UK, um, Flybee was a very early victim. Mm. Um, I would say actually Flybee was one of those businesses that was a victim already. And I think almost the pandemic was the, the final nail in its coffin. But of course, more recently, we've seen um, Virgin um, Australia um, file for administration and Richard Branson saying that he will need government help probably for the for the rest of the Virgin network to uh, stay alive. Uh, travel generally, we all saw those awful pictures of people stranded on the cruise ships. So it's difficult to see that that part of the travel industry is going to return quickly, albeit I imagine what they will do is offer very attractive deals to get people traveling again. But but our travel generally, um, I think people's fear at the moment, even when we emerge from uh, the lockdown, will be will there be a second wave? We've all seen the stories of how horrendous it's been for some people stranded overseas in uh, non-mainstream destinations. Um, and I think the fear will be continue to be that travelling to those destinations, will anybody really want to, to do that sort of travel this year um, if there is a second uh, wave of the pandemic and they're going to be stuck out there? So I, I think air travel generally, um, people are going to be very reluctant to, to take back to that in anything like normal numbers. And again, you look at some of the news coverage of places like China, um, the level of testing that is going on for people trying to travel to those countries, um, it makes the inconvenience of airport travel that we saw on the back of 9-11 look trivial. Um, I think airport travel, uh, travelling through airports is going to be remain very, very difficult for people. And do you really want to go somewhere where it's difficult to get in? You're going to be quarantined for two weeks. And if there's a second wave of the pandemic, you're going to be stuck out there. And I think also the the added uh, side of this is that we've all got used to using these new forms of technology. So um, I think for certainly the remainder of this year, um, air travel is going to be much reduced. And I think people are going to rely on these forms of technology that are becoming more and more normal for them rather than you know traditional face-to-face meetings um, that are on the back of business travel. Um, and I think for um, holiday travel, um, the most commentators are predicting some sort of softening of the housing market. We know what that does to consumer confidence. Um, if people feel that the value of the house has fallen and what do they then do? 
they tighten their belts. And one of the first things that they look at is any form of discretionary spending like holidays. So I think for all sorts of reasons, people are going to stay at home this year, even when they are allowed to travel again. I completely agree. And that's, that's a really, really good point. Just quickly, if if, if I may, uh, we do a lot of corporate finance M&A recruitment. And I guess a lot of the thoughts around um, M&A transactions at the moment is that that will naturally slow down um, across most sectors right now. But I'm sure private equity buyers and investors are going to see this as a good opportunity to make um to make some really sound investments. And I guess if you're a business owner at this time, perhaps considering a sale, is there anything as, a, as an insolvency practitioner that you would say, actually, this is what you should really consider and uh, something that you should really put in place to make yourself attractive to a potential purchaser at this point? And I think the best advice I could probably be is um, try and ride this out and then try and, you know, groom yourself for sale to be in a better place than you probably are at the moment. Um, it's going to be an interesting dynamic in that market because we're already starting to see a real influx of emails from people saying, if you get any distressed opportunities, we're really interested in looking at them. So going into this pandemic, we knew the market was fairly awash with cash without a natural home. Um, people were nervous about um, pensions, um, uh, property prices. There was a little bit of nervousness in that sector. So there's a lot of money out there at the moment um, looking for a place to invest. But but would you be wanting to sell at the moment if you didn't really have to? And if you have to sell, you're going to be a fairly unwilling seller and you've got plenty of willing buyers out there. And we know what that does. It doesn't give you a very attractive price unless you can create some real competitive tension with a number of interested parties. So my advice probably would be um, if you're selling at the moment, you're probably not going to be selling in the best shape. So why wouldn't you, if you can, try and come out of the other side of this, try and get your business back on a solid footing and then try and groom it for sale in the usual fashion so that you're you're buying somewhere at the top of the curve rather than buying in a fairly distressed way which you might be doing at the moment there's been a lot of you know talk in in the news about the changes made to the insolvency legislation um i'm probably just keen to get your thoughts julie do you think the insolvency legislation you know, is going to help or, or potentially hinder you know, insolvency investigations going forward yeah that's an interesting uh, question chris um Interestingly, um, legislative change had been fairly high on the agenda for the insolvency profession anyway, leading up to Brexit. But then, like many forms of legislative change that had been parked while we went into that uh, two years of what now seems like total madness. And uh, I suppose, in a sense, one of the nice things about the pandemic is we're not wasting time talking about Brexit at the moment. Um, but legislative change was being looked at. Some of it, I think, is being now mentioned in a fairly, um, I think, unthought out way. Um, so the first thing we 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 saw was the talk of um, uh, light administrations, um, really centering around the uh, Debenhams appointment. Um, the, the big four firm that we're in, being KPMG, that was openly known to be advising Debenhams, seemed to step aside, um, and then a non-big four firm took the appointment, and it was referred to as a as a light touch administration. Um, I don't really see how that works. I, I understand there's a, a sort of thought process that it might move us more towards the Chapter 11 type procedures they have in the US. It might be a little bit akin to a CVA in the UK with, without having to go through all the rigmarole of a voting process. My concern with a so-called light touch administration, though, is that um, as, an, as an administrator, as an insolvency practitioner taking administration appointments, your, your governing piece of case law is a, as a case called ex parte James, which effectively says your absolute duty is to, to the creditors and you have to be mindful of that at all times. What light administration to me seems to suggest is that 
you're almost allowing the company to go into administration and use the protection and the moratorium of administration without you being actively involved in a day-to-day basis in their business. I can't really see how that works, given your overall duty is to the creditors. And as somebody amusingly once described it to me, um, having a light administration is like having a light pregnancy. What does that actually mean? Um, So I can see it's a lateral way of trying to react to the crisis and trying to deal with these situations quickly. But it just seems to me to be a little bit unthought out because we don't really have the legislative framework sat behind it to understand how it actually works in practice. And and my concern is if it becomes too prevalent, uh, what we are going to see is a um, a lot of legal actions on the back of it in terms of whether administrators have uh, undertaken their duties uh, properly. So so I, for one, I think would be a bit nervous about it. Just last thing for me, actually, are are you starting to see that sort of um, upturn in, in work at the moment, just based on all the things you've described today? Um, I think the answer to that is there's a there's a little bit of a, a calm before what I see as a as a coming storm. Um, the first couple of weeks, I think everyone was still a little bit in shock mode, wondering what was going on, how to react to it. Um, there's a high level of forbearance out there, not least because of government support, but also because of actions that creditors can pract- practically take at the moment. So we've not really seen an immediate pickup in terms of what we expect to see a very marked pickup towards quarter three. Um, we think insolvency figures will increase very dramatically. Um, some of the figures being bandied around about a million businesses potentially failing. Even if you take that with a pinch of salt and say, is it going to be even 10% of that figure, 100,000? That would equate to about five times the normal number of insolvencies, just to give you some sort of context. And we think as we get closer to quarter three, those numbers will start accelerating quite dramatically. What we are doing at the moment um, as part of Begbie's trainer, though, both on our insolvency and our advisory side, um, is to advise more and more business owners in terms of what they can be doing at the moment, what their options might be, how they should be planning for this crisis going forward. We inevitably anyway give a a lot of our time um, free of charge. um, And at the moment, those doors are very much open for business in the sense we are there to help business owners through this this crisis if we can help them in a way that never gets near an insolvency that's great but equally if people need insolvency options we're more than happy to advise them on that basis as well so you know please if you are listening to this and you need some help um you can call us we're happy to give you um, whatever time you need and we'll do it initially on a, a free of charge basis while we discover your options to hopefully help you come out of this crisis even better on the other side That was Julie Palmer, Regional Managing Partner at Begbie's Trainer, talking to Ambition's Adam Silver and Chris Stark. If you want to know more about our work here at Ambition and how we can help you in building a better future, then please do get in touch. Just go to our website, ambition.co.uk. Thanks for listening and goodbye.